You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors come to share their stories, insights and tips. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, folks, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mr. Ben Wright. And it's always an honor for me to say that because Mr. Wright, in my mind, is the best broadcaster in golf history. For the wonderful way that he painted the scene and put an exclamation point on some of the most dramatic things that have happened in the game of golf. People talk to me about the times that I've had Mr. Wright. It's uh, it's very, very special to me. He's a very special individual to me and very meaningful and uh, very supportive over the years. And I can't thank him enough for those sorts of things. And I always like to remind you that it was Ben Wright who used the phrase, yes, sir, to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicklaus's ego putt on the 15th hole during the final round of the 1986 Masters. He used that phrase two holes in about 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used it again following Nicklaus's birdie putt on 17. But Mr. Wright is as much a part of the fabric of the Masters tournament as anybody and I am very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Wright. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's my immense pleasure, uh, Chris. It really is. I, I love listening to you extol my uh, fading virtues. <laughs> uh, it's always my extreme honor to have you here, Mr. Wright. And and before we get into all the other things that are going on around the game of golf and talk about the Masters and that sort of thing, I want to start off mm-hmm. by getting an update from you about your course, Cliffs Valley, up there in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. You ready for another wonderful golf season up there? How's the golf course looking? It really is in unbelievably good condition, Chris, because I have who I believe to be the best superintendent. In the history, in the history of the game, at least from my point of view, a gentleman called Matt Stevens. He doesn't know union hours. It's his baby, and it's my baby, and the two of us between us just love the heck out of that golf. And speaking of your baby, I know you've got the Ben Wright Invitational Tournament coming up a little bit later this summer up in July, uh, coming up in July. Talk about that wonderful event. Well, um, I won the, the inaugural um, Crystal Mountain Invitational with Michael Patrick Shields, uh, a leading Michigan broadcaster who happens to be like a son to me. And they asked me if I could name the event after them, and so I did. And we are going from strength to strength, uh, Chris, and the money goes to the first tee. And uh, I, it, it's a very successful event. It sold out the moment it opened with waiting lists, so I'm, I'm really happy about that one. Mr. Wright, as we look ahead, we've got Masters Week coming up next week, and uh, boy, it's just it's one of the most special weeks of the year for me and uh, for so many of us that love the game of golf. I wanted to get your thoughts. What what are some of your favorite Masters memories from all the years you were a part of that tournament? Well, obviously, 1986 
and the great Jack Nicholas's incredible uh, victory. But, you know, 1975 is very close up behind it because, you know, it, it came down to the, the three guys, Jack Nicholas, uh, Johnny Miller, and Tom Weisskopf. And all three had a chance to win. But Nicholas got in first for once. And the other two guys missed their respective putts that could have taken it into a playoff. And it was, that was as exciting as anything I've ever watched in my life. And Mr. Wright, speaking of that 75 tournament, when Weisskopf birdied the 15th hole to take a one-stroke lead, you your call was that will be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ears. Did that just come to you right on the spur of the moment? How did you come up with that phrase? Yes, yes I, it, everything comes on the spur of the moment, Chris. I, I don't take notes. All I take, or all I used to take, my God, it's a long time ago. Um, all I used to take to the tower was a pairing sheet. The rest was off the top of my head. I, I honestly mean that. And, and, and there are people who know me well enough and who were there who will know that, that, uh, that is the absolute truth. Um, I, I never rehearsed a single word I said. Hmm. Wow. And that day, right after you made that call on 15, your broadcasting partner, Henry Longhurst, said of Nicholas's 40-foot putt on 16 that he obviously makes for birdie to take uh, to tie for the lead at that moment, that that was the greatest putt he had ever seen in his life. I'm sure you were watching yes. over his shoulder and watching what was happening. Same for you? Greatest putt you've ever seen? I would say so. Yes, I probably was the greatest putt I ever saw. And, you know, I've got to tell you this, Chris, I'm such a fan of Jack Nicklaus. Um, only Ben Hogan is close to being equal to him, but I was such a fan of Nicklaus. And when he hit the one-arm shot at the 17th hole, of the 1972 Open at Pebble Beach into a 40 mile an hour, well, not 40 mile an hour, when it couldn't have been 40 mile an hour, but it was damn close to it. And he hit that one arm against the flagstick and it bounced literally less than a foot away for the birdie that won him that. That was the greatest shot I ever saw in the whole of my life. Mr. Wright, some people, including Tom Weisskopf himself, said when, when Nicholas made that putt on 16 and 75, it essentially broke his spirit. Did you ever talk to Weisskopf about that tournament and that putt and what went through his mind as he was coming in? Absolutely. Um, he and I were quite close, and it it was one of the great tragedies of the game of golf, that he was utterly, by 
his own admission, cowed by Nicholas's superiority. Um, they, you know, people say they were friends because they both came from Columbus, Ohio. Actually, Weiskopf, if, 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 and I'm sure he'd agree with you, he hated Nicholas because he knew that Nicholas had the Indian sign on him. And when Weisskopf won the Canadian Open at Royal Montreal uh, by beating Nicholas in sudden death, the way he reacted, uh, it was it was like a, a totally crazed person. It was such a relief to him to ever get the better of Nicholas. And um, you know, there was a little uh, another side. Um, he regarded Nicholas as a rich man because his daddy had owned pharmacies, whereas Weisskopf came up the hard way. There was not much money in the family. And um, it's one of the untold stories of golf, that rivalry. Uh, but, you know, when you think Weisskopf was runner-up at Augusta, four times, Chris, four times. And, right. you know, there was a man, he, his swing was so, so much like what I call perfection. He should have won a dozen majors, but he was his own worst enemy. He behaved badly to himself for the longest time. Now, I'm very happy to say he's dry and, and he's a wonderful golf course architect. Finest fellows I ever knew who really didn't get his due. Mr. Ray, you also talked about the 86 Masters and heading into that event. Nicholas was said to be too old. His clubs were too rusty. But boy, when I look back at the, the history of the Masters and the leaderboards leading up to, you know, every year leading up to 86, 85, he finished tied for six, only four strokes behind Bernard Longer. It doesn't seem to me that it was that much of a stretch that he could contend again in 86. But during the production meetings prior to the tournament, was there any conversation about Nicholas or was he completely overlooked heading into that event? Completely overlooked, Chris. You know, I, I, I can't agree more with, with you because uh, you shouldn't have overlooked him. But we did. We ignored him in the production meeting. No question about it. It was going to be Greg Norman. It was going to be Seve. It was going to be Tom Kite. It was going to be any number of players. He was not really seriously considered. When you look at that, how that back nine started to unfold and the charge that he made, were the producers buzzing in your ear about Nicholas as he approached the 15th hole in 86? Or did all of that sort of die down after the bogey on 12? Did they discount him again? Or was there still a buzz that, you know, maybe he could pull this thing off? No, you know, there wasn't much of a buzz, Chris, because at that stage, Seve looked like a hot favorite, or Greg Norman, or Tom Kite, 
it was between the four of them, and it really, you know, it was, uh, it was almost, you know, look, almost okay. Let's get Nicholas through this hole, and then, and then, of course, he made the that rewrote history or wrote history or whatever you like to call it. So it, it seems to me you were in the perfect position there at the 15th Tower to see maybe one of the best strokes ever in Nicholas's Eagle and maybe one of the worst strokes ever in Ballesteros hitting the ball into the water. Have you ever seen two great players kind of have that you know 180 degree difference on that one hole? Never, never. And it's interesting you uh, should bring that up because Sebi and I had a very serious difference of opinion about my call, which I I called it an absolutely dreadful shot. And the ball was destined over the water. And he questioned that. And we had a very nasty uh, falling out that lasted almost a year. But he, God bless him, and God rest his soul, he reconciled with me, and he said then it was an absolutely dreadful shot. But he also, when we talked about it, Chris, we talked about it later, and I said, in my opinion, Sebi, you hurried that shot because you were so scared about hearing these enormous ovations for Nicholas and that you wanted to try and get the shot played before, you know, something nearly burst your eardrums. And he said, Ben, you are absolutely right. I hurried that shot, and I paid the price. So to that end, right, so as the, as the event sequence of events play out, he hits it in the water. Nicholas almost holds it on 16. What was that from an emotional standpoint? What was that like for you and for Ballesteros to kind of hate uh, that sort of played out, right? Worst shot you've ever seen. Nicholas almost holds it on 16. Another big roar goes up. What was the impact, do you think, on Ballesteros from that point on? Uh, you know, I saw his shoulders droop. I, I, it was almost as, as if he conceded. At that time, I was watching him very carefully. And uh, I, I, think, I, I think that broke Sevi. In that instance, uh, Chris, I really do. As you watch Nicholas, you talk about you know your affinity to Nicholas, and I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan. When you look at the history that Jack Nicholas had on the 16th hole at Augusta National, it's like that's mm-hmm. that hole should be his. There should be a huge plaque somewhere because of the things that he was able to pull off on the 16th mm-hmm. hole. Talk about some of the things that you saw. Nicholas do over the course of your career there at 16? Well, you know, uh, there are so many of them. Um, when I, I, uh, I saw him win the British Open at Muirfield 
1966, and I had trained David Thomas, the big uh, Welshman, to get uh, to win the event, and he only finished second, uh, tied with Doug Sanders behind Nicholas. And I, re- I, I knew then when Nicholas made his breakthrough in the British Open that the dam was open forever. He was gonna, he was gonna sweep the board. That to me was the event that really, uh, really concentrated his ability to win everywhere. Because, you know, he'd been, uh, he was a dismal failure until 1966. A very dismal failure. I mean, by his standards. For instance, say, you know, Mr. Cop in 62 and, uh, 63, nowhere. 64, lost to Lima. 65, lost to Peter Thompson. And it, 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 he, it was so overdue for him to win. And I think that really set him off uh, on his incredible way. Of course, he won over here before then. But I think the fact that he won the British Open was probably one of the biggest turning points in in his entire career. Mr. Wright, looking ahead to next week's Masters, we see how well Tiger has been playing. People are saying he is the odds-on favorite to win it, but I, I, I sort of have a little pause when I think about that. He's missing an awful lot of four- and five-footers, and it seems to me if you're going to win at Augusta National, those need to almost be automatic. Those need to be going in yeah. with some regularity to in order to, yeah. to win the green jacket. But I don't know. Your thoughts on what you're seeing from Tiger heading into the event? Well, I, I, I mean, obviously, it would be one of the most great stories in the history of the game if he could win. But I, I, I can't quite see it, Chris. I, as you have said, he, he's not putting well enough. You're going to putt like God at Augusta to win the event. And I, I look no further than than to the brilliant putters. I don't like the fact of Rory misses too many short putts. I don't like the fact that Justin Rose misses too few, you know, too many short putts. I don't like the way Dustin Johnson misses short putts. So, you know, if I was, if I was forced to bet, um, which I've stopped doing, um, I would say Brooks Hepka for me is a man who is impervious to any kind of mental strain and who is, he's got this immense power that he can overwhelm everything, but he holds everything when it matters. Um, I, I really think it'll take, he'll take a lot of beating in, in next week's Masters. Mr. Wright, just a couple more before I let you go. 
And um, okay. one of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on is when I think about the big three, Jack Nichols, Gary Player, Arnold Palmer, Jack and Gary had a lot of success over a very long period of time. We all know about, uh, you know, their wins and, you know, starting in the early 60s, you know, Gary Player still winning in 74 and 78, but still being competitive into the 1980s. Jack Nicholas obviously winning again in 86, but really, you look all the way, all the way out to 1998 at 58 years old, he still finished tied for six. So he had a lot of success in the majors and at Augusta National for a long period of time. Mr. Palmer, his success both at Augusta National and in the majors was 58 to 64. He, he misses the, he missed the cut in, in 68 and was really never a factor in the Masters or a major after that. Your thoughts. What, why, why were player and Nicholas able to be so competitive for so long, but Mr. Palmer wasn't? Well, I think that Gary Player is probably the least recognized brilliant champion of all time. You know, he won all these events. He traveled millions and millions of miles. And I did, I did several of them with him, by the way. And yet he doesn't seem ever to have got his due. Arnold Palmer was a, a comet that burned out. But the great thing was he was such an incredible guy. That he remained the king till his dying day. Nicholas, uh, you you can't say too much about Nicholas. What he did, it, it will never be approached, in my opinion. And of course, I don't think Tiger has any chance of approaching Nicholas. Nicholas is the greatest winning champion of all times. Mr. Wright, one more before I let you go, and that's just simply, who who do you like? You mentioned Brooks Kepka. Who else do you think will be watching at the top of the leaderboard come uh, that Sunday evening? <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope it's Rory, because I love the guy. Uh, but um, that's, that's the heart. I think probably Justin Rose would be a more cerebral well, Mr. Wright, it's always a huge privilege for me to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of getting to spend some more time with you a little bit later on this year. You're uh, absolutely one of my all-time favorites. Well, I love being on with you because you stimulate me, Chris. You stimulate me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you very much for that. That means a great deal to me. Mr. Wright, enjoy the Masters. Enjoy you know the golf season. And uh, thank you again for being here. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. I hope so, too, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Wright. That is the great Ben Wright, and folks, I, I mean it very sincerely. There isn't so, anybody else that I would enjoy sitting down and talking about Masters history or the game of golf more than Ben Wright. Hopefully we get the privilege of catching up with Mr. Wright again very, very soon. 